Higher Ground on the Razzle Cannabis Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Farah Tariq. Uh, today I'm here with Blair Gill. She's an attorney in the cannabis industry, and I'm really excited to talk about um, local compliance and licensing issues today. Um, but first, we're going to hear from our sponsor. Since 2008, California Lightworks has been guided by a vision focused on the research, design, development, and manufacturing of state-of-the-art commercial LED grow lights and automation equipment for greenhouse and indoor horticulture. By applying the latest advances in high-efficiency, solid-state lighting, and controls technology, their team provides worldwide growers new grow lights that deliver clear benefits at a competitive price. Backed by their solid reputation for standing behind their products, California Lightworks also offers industry-leading warranties on all their commercial grow lights. To learn more about California Lightworks, go to CaliforniaLightworks.com, and to view their current investment opportunity, please go to the investment marketplace at Razzle.com. Hi, welcome back. Um, we're here today on the higher ground with Blair Gio, and we're going to talk about um, local and state licensing issues and a couple other exciting topics. Uh, so I'm excited to have her here today. Um, Blair, uh, thank you so much for coming into the studio. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit, give us your background and what kind sure. of work you've been doing. So like you said, my name is Blair Gu. Um, I currently work at Rogaway Law Group, which is a law firm that focuses on cannabis business. Um, we have a compliance team, which I'm on. Um, I focus on cannabis compliance kind of on local levels and state levels and really just helping our clients make sure that really how they're forming their businesses, how they're operating, and then also when they're, you know, submitting applications or renewals that everything is kind of being updated appropriately. Um, and then also helping on the day-to-day. -day. So we're not in-house counsel, we're outside counsel. So um, it's a little bit different than if you were in-house. But um, the good thing about us is that we have, you know, multiple teams at the office. So I'm on the compliance team, but we also have corporate counsel. Um, we do litigation for cannabis operators. Um, IP work and, you know, kind of a, a full service firm for that. So it's a pretty exciting place to be. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of varying legal needs within the cannabis industry. Yes. And I'm excited to see some firms stepping up and providing mm -hmm. those services now. Um, so I hope, we, I think we're going to get a chance to talk about that a little yeah. bit, get people a small sense of some of the things that they really need to be using advisors yes. and attorneys for. Yes. Um, so I think the main topic that I was really curious about is licensing. I know a lot of people come to attorneys initially to submit their license application mm -hmm. to get involved in the cannabis industry. And of course, there's a whole lot of other stuff yes. that comes after that. Yes. Um, but I think starting at day one, um, there's there's various issues that people don't even know about. They think mm -hmm. they want to get involved in a state, mm -hmm. get a state license, and get it done in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes, that happens a lot. Um, you know, especially people there. that aren't necessarily from California or haven't been involved in the California market since, you know, before licensing really came on board. You know, we used to have a whole collective model here in California and things have really changed in the last few years. So for people that are, you know, legacy cultivators or people that have been operating, you know, medical dispensaries for a long time, um, even for those people, kind of the trans transfer over to the regulated market with state licensing has been a little bit difficult. Um, but for those people, it's, you know, difficult because things have constantly changed in terms of local regulations and state regulations over the last few years. Um, but for people that are coming in out of state, it's kind of an even more difficult situation because um, it's a it's a strange it's a strange world to step into, especially if you're you know say for example an investor or you've worked in other types of markets and you're like hey I'm going to take my experience into the cannabis market. There's a lot of things that are very different when it comes to cannabis permitting or cannabis state licensing that people just don't really anticipate. And one of the biggest things there, kind of like you mentioned, is time. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so, you know, one thing we see a lot is people coming in and saying, hey, I need to get my state license for cannabis quickly. Like I need to be operating in six months. And we try not to give them kind of like a little, that's funny, you know, like kind of response. But the truth is, is that local permitting is likely going to take at minimum six months. Um, And especially now in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis, you know, with uh, local regulator, local regulators and, you know, staff members being kind of dispersed with other things that they need to be focused on, um, emergency responses and things like that. You know, we're seeing that um, planners or uh, cannabis office personnel is really on the decline and not because the local governments don't care about cannabis, but that there's just very important health issues that are happening in the state right now. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think even under normal circumstances, the timing yeah. tends to be very extended. It's a government, government mm-hmm. agencies, and yep. it's all new. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, California's been going on yeah. a little bit longer, but the regulations are always changing. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I think it seems like they're always trying to play catch up a little bit mm-hmm. also on what exactly they need from the license. Yeah license applicants and going back and forth on that. Well, we see also, you know, uh, local regulations have kind of been evolving for the past Mm -hmm. few years. So, you know, you'll come into contact with uh, localities that um, I, you know, there's kind of like two main groups, either they waited until the state regulations kind of came out and put bans in place um, for their locality. And now they're coming around to creating regulations that are in line with the current state law. Um, because keep in mind, we've already gone through three, four iterations of what the state regulations mm-hmm. are over the last few years. Um, and just, I believe in January 2019 is when we kind of got our final regulation. So there were things that even, you know, experienced operators had to switch up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's an interesting part because on the other end, you have some of these localities that were really on top of creating their cannabis regulations before the state regs came out. And that kind of creates a whole nother list of issues because, you know, definitions aren't, you know, the same on a local level that they are on a state level. And so it's really, um, you know, when you're going into local permitting, I always call it, uh, you know, licensing in the state, a two-step dance. Mm -hmm. You have to do the local compliance aspect, and then you have to do the state state compliant aspect, and you have to be compliant with both to operate in the state. So you may have, you know, you know, for example, with cultivation, Mm -hmm. Cal Cannabis doesn't have limits on how many, you know, acres or square footage of canopy you can have, but localities really do. So when people come and say like, hey, I want to do 50 acres of, you know, mixed light cultivation, I say, well, that's probably going to be very difficult to find a locality where you can do that, you know, where there's still permits available. So there's a lot of discussion that goes into, you know, what is a realistic timeline Mm -hmm. and, you know, how much are you looking in fees and, you know, are you going to build a new building? Are you going to go into something that's already existing? And people really, I always just suggest, really have a plan coming into it Mm -hmm. um, so that you're not shocked when the attorney or whoever you're working with says, all right, you're looking at about a year before you get your local permit. Um, So just know that it's not a quick process. But yeah, I think the, in the local licensing regime, there's a lot of, I think you got to think about how are you going to time your two mm-hmm. applications if you have to make a determination mm-hmm. about what type of facility you want, how mm-hmm. much space you want. Yep. It's kind of a little bit of a chicken and egg thing. Mm-hmm. If you have an idea about what city you want to be in or what area you want to be in, you have to yeah. take into consideration these things. So how do you time the state application mm-hmm. with the locality and, and all of these Sure. Things? So the thing to know is that when you apply for your state license, you have to either upload a document that shows that you have local authorization to operate at the premises, so the, the address essentially that you're thinking of operating on, 
or you know you have to be aware of that the fact that the state is going to reach out to the locality and say does this applicant so the name that you're applying for on the state license have local authorization to operate in your in the locality so in terms of timing obviously you need to get your local authorization before you apply for a state license um, so and that's why some people are kind of shocked when they say oh i want to get a state license and then they figure out there's this whole local process and that really the idea of applying for a state license is not going to come to fruition for many many months mm -hmm. um, but that's not to say that you can't be prepared um, so kind of you know one of the things that we previously talked about was um, preparing local permit applications mm -hmm. and state license applications and the thing to know is that there's multiple ways that you can do that to kind of benefit your business moving forward. Um, and so one thing that we like to do at my office, which I know is different from some other mm -hmm. offices, is to make local permit applications very detailed and very um, inclusive of how the operator is going to be compliant with state law too. And some people say like, oh, well, that takes more time to get your local permit application submitted. But the great thing is, is that's going to save you money on the back end mm -hmm. because when you go, when, once you get your permit, which, you know, we always fingers crossed that the application is so good that the local government's just like, oh, wow, th these people are prepared. Mm -hmm. um, but also so that when the state license application comes around, really you're just cherry picking information out of your local permit application and putting it on whatever forms are provided. So you're not doing the same thing twice, just in different packet forms. Yeah. You're really, you know, preparing for the state license application off the front end so that once you submit your state license application, everything matches, everything is, you know, coherent and proper and properly placed and you're not having conflicts between what you said to, you know, your city and then the state, everything is just like a beautiful package with a bow that can go to both. Yeah, I get everything on the same page, make yeah. sure there aren't inconsistencies. Just huge, yeah. Especially if there's time between when you submit one mm -hmm. application and the other, often things yep. change mm -hmm. and yes, then you they forget do. that you didn't yeah. update on your other one. Yeah. And I think an important thing for people to remember is that, you know, with cannabis, you there's usually a multi-step process on the local level. So usually what you're looking for on the local level in terms of cannabis is some type of use permit or, you know, other type of authorization that the city or the county is giving just so that the state knows you can operate a cannabis business there. But once you get that, then there's still the process of getting building permits. You know, if you're doing a new build, like that's a whole nother process. Um, or even if you're just doing, you know, tenant improvements that require any type of permits. So, you know, it's not like you're gonna get your cannabis use permit or your cannabis authorization. And then the next day you just like run into the building and you're like, let's bring in inventory. You know, there's a lot of other steps that have to happen. Um, and so it's important for people that are coming in to realize like, you know, so say we get hired and, you know, we're an, I'm an, obviously an attorney and so are you. And there's kind of a limit to the things that our expertise is going to be able to mm -hmm. help with, you know. So I think also prepping for the idea that you're going to have multiple professionals working with you, you know. So like the basic ones that I always tell people right off the bat is, you know, once we've found a property and we've done a compliance check on the property and it's zoned pr appropriately and everything is also to think of the other professionals that you're going to need. Um, an architect or draftsperson mm -hmm. for plans, a security company, um, some localities require, um, you know, odor mitigation plans that are signed off by some sort of odor engineer. Wow. And so just knowing that like just coming to a lawyer's office and saying, hey, I want to hire you to do this permit application. You don't want me writing your security plan because I, I know a lot from reading security plans and things like that. But if somebody's to ask me how does like a bullet camera work or, you know, a dome camera and how many frames per second, I, I'm just reading it off a page. Like I don't personally know yeah. any of that information. So it's really important to have a team of professionals 
behind your application um, so that everything is kind of in working order and just like like I said like a, a pretty package that mm-hmm. the local regulators can say oh wow you kind of already answered all of our questions. Now is that something that you help advise mm-hmm. about what kind of specialist people need yes. and how to because okay. there's so much yeah there's so many moving pieces I'm sure people are yeah. overwhelmed. Very overwhelmed. And at least they have a sense that they need an attorney. Mm-hmm. Yes <laughs> but, which is good which is very you know, good. There's certain kinds of advisors out there that you got to be careful yeah. about. Yeah we always suggest you know architect or draftsperson because you don't necessarily you know there are certain situations where you're going to need an architect so if you're doing a new build or if there's like mm-hmm. significant renovations that you're doing to a you know an existing uh, building um, but you know it can't hurt to have an architect who knows what they're talking about in case you do need to make those modifications but we always tell people get somebody who has worked in the cannabis industry before um, and that's not to say you know architects doing you know all sorts of projects aren't qualified to draft plans and things like that but there's a lot of things that go into it that you know um, somebody that hasn't worked with cannabis and especially on the state licensing side with how your premises have to be split up and how you know you can't have to walk through one premises to get to the other in certain situations mm-hmm. that um, can the client can really be benefited from having somebody that doesn't have to always come to the attorney and say hey does this look right because you know, the, the goal is to get your local permit application submitted, get your state license application submitted, and still not have spent all of the money that you have for your company because then you're starting at a deficit of money, which is kind of a killer for small businesses. Um, and so, yeah, we always suggest, you know, if people come in and say, hey, I already have these people that I want to work with, you know, it, it's we're joining the team. So but it's also our job as attorneys to say, hey, you know, I'm seeing this from your other expert. You know, maybe it's a security company, maybe it's an odor engineer. And it looks off from what I've seen mm-hmm. from other people in the industry. So let's take a step back and look at what they're doing and maybe ask why they're doing it. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of really important um traps that could be triggered, different decisions you want to make um, about the technicalities around definitions of an outdoor grow or other things that you need Mm -hmm. an attorney and other experts to weigh in. Yeah, and I think one of the really big things for people to know is that when, you know, the compliance side is obviously extremely important, but you can trigger a lot of compliance issues from not having the right team Mm -hmm. uh, working with you. So, you know, what we do at my office is when people come in, you know, one of the first things that we do is ask, do you have a company set up for this project already? And a lot of times people don't. They don't know that they, you know, should probably not use the LLC that also owns their, you know, like tax business or something like that to do this. You know, we want to separate those out. Um, And then also having members of our corporate team just say, let's take a look at your formation documents. Like, did you get these, you know, from an online company that doesn't really know what you're actually, what your business is going to be doing? Um, Do we need to tweak it? Do we need to add in protections? And what we find a lot of the times too is for people that aren't um, super business savvy, you know, they want to get into cannabis and maybe they're they're the cannabis expert, Mm. but they don't have experience running companies. Just making sure like really simple things have occurred that, you know, if you, are starting a corporation that you've actually like bought and own your shares of the company before you start bringing in investors and diluting yourself and things like that. So um, really making sure that your core corporate structure and your management team is really solid. And part of that is having somebody on your team that knows regulatory compliance. Um, So whether you hire an in-house attorney or you have like a compliance specialist, at least somebody on your team 
that knows what you're looking to do. So if you're a cultivator, looking at the Cal Cannabis regulations, figuring out, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to, this person doesn't have to be a lawyer. So it's not somebody who has to spend hours and hours like no. we have, like, you know, stressing over like, oh, is it and or or? Is this, what does this comma mean? You know, like that's a little, that gets a little crazy for us. But just knowing that somebody has enough information about mm -hmm. what you should and should not be doing to raise a red flag to say, okay, this is our idea. We need to stop and run this by you know, a professional in regulatory yeah. compliance. Um, because, you know, as outside counsel, what we see a lot is people coming to us and they say, hey, I did this and now I have this letter from, you know, the Bureau of Cannabis Control or Cal Cannabis or my local government code enforcement. And when we get brought in at that point, it's cleanup, yeah. you know, instead of, you know, making sure things are going right from the get-go and being more preventative. Mm -hmm. um, and what operators should know is that the local government has a lot of control over what, or all the control really, about what you're supposed to be doing at your premises, you know, land use, all of those things. Yeah. So if there are issues on the local level, that's likely gonna permeate up to the state level. And so you just wanna be really clear about who you're trusting with regulatory mm -hmm. compliance stuff and just knowing that it's better at least to ask your attorney for advice no. first before just saying, you know what, screw it, we're just gonna see what happens because what happens is you can lose your license. Right. Um, and so, although we haven't seen much of that yet, you know, um, we've seen a lot of enforcement from the Bureau of Cannabis Control and other agencies for unlicensed operations, but I can imagine that, you know, we're gonna start seeing people who are really getting, um, you know, kind of reprimanded for things that aren't being done correctly. Medicus LP was created after their team discovered that very few avenues existed for investment in professionally managed public equity funds. As a result, they created a long bias limited partnership, Medicus, for accredited individuals and organizations that will invest in public exchange traded companies in the cannabis space. Investor net asset values are calculated on a monthly basis by their administrator, Klein Fund Services, and audited annually by Spicer Jeffries. This provides full transparency for investors. Their prime broker is BTIG and custodian is Pershing. Medicus started investing in January 2020. To learn more about Medicus, please visit their website at medicuslp.com. And for more information about their current investment opportunity, please visit the Razzle Investment Marketplace at razzle.com. Well, what I'm hearing is that it's really important to be proactive mm -hmm. about building the right team yes. internally at your company. And, you know, there's resources like attorneys like you mm -hmm. that people are going to contact for specific issues, yes. if it's licensing, if they have questions, or when a compliance issue has come up, like you said, if yeah. they've gotten a notice. Yeah. But you can save a lot of money and a lot of headaches yes. if you have somebody on your team who actually knows what's going on day to day. Yes. Sometimes you're limited by what your clients tell you. Exactly, yeah. So we're, like I said, not in-house. So I'm not on the ground every day looking at what's happening. And you need somebody who's kind of the risk adverse person on your team. I would say, you know, when we laugh at my office because I'm always the person that's saying, mm, I don't know about that, you know, let's look into that. Um, and it's just because, you know, we're at a place in the industry where people are coming up with really great new ideas and um, unique things that they want to do. And it's not necessarily something that's in the regulations that says, no, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people operate under the, you know, idea like, well, it doesn't tell me I can't do it. So that means I can do it. And usually in law, that's right. Like if it's not prohibited, you know, then okay. Um, but when you're running a business and you need to like, you know, protect your employees and protect yourself and, you know, protect your product and things like that. Um, even if something isn't written out there saying you can't do it, if it feels 
you know, if it has a weird taste to it or weird yeah. smell to it, smell test, you know, like traditional law school thing doesn't pass the smell test. Um, if it's even a whiff of like, ooh, I don't know if we should do this, you should be asking someone about it. Yeah. Um, at least so that you can do a risk assessment. Um, just because, you know, you don't want to get to a position where you're so far down the line after a decision and you could have just done one really small thing in the beginning to really change your place on the regulatory yeah. compliance scale. Um, so yeah, we always just suggest you know, have somebody on your team at the very least that is the contact with your outside counsel, mm -hmm, if that's right. how you guys are going to be set up, and have that person be in not constant contact, but just giving updates about, hey, this is where we're at. This is what no. we're going to do. Do you have any input on that? Um, because that's a lot easier as outside counsel for us to do, you know, a monthly check-in and answer questions and see how things are going than it is when there's like a fire drill on a Friday at three o'clock and, you know, filings have been missed or, you know, uh-oh, you know, our local permit lapsed and we forgot to refile it and now we have a whole bunch of plants on our property that technically we're not allowed to have and what do we do so um yeah really focusing on compliance and making sure that your management team is solid is a really key aspect of running a cannabis business yeah because sometimes when there's a fire drill you're also playing catch up if you haven't exactly. spoken to that client in a while exactly. you don't know the updates you don't mm -hmm. know what they've been up to lately mm -hmm. and you're trying to understand yeah <laughs> everything that happened yeah and i think from a money standpoint too mm -hmm. people have to recognize that you know if you come to me like on a Friday at three o'clock and say, wow, like this horrible thing is happening and I haven't talked to you in two months, I have to look at every single piece of paper that relates to this that you've been working on for the last two months. So before I can even get into advising on like, what do we need to do in order to understand the situation, I'm going to be doing a lot of doc review, which is expensive. Yeah. Um, so if you can kind of avoid that, that's kind of, I would say, the best place to be. So just making sure you're super organized, um, that you have somebody on your team that can help if things kind of go awry, um, and just being preventative rather than reactionary with things. Yeah, I love how you put it about having somebody on your team that is a little risk adverse. Yes, yes. <laughs> because I always think of attorneys, I, I always say you need an attorney on your leadership team. You know, when you're building out your executive team, you should have a general counsel as one of your initial, you know, mm -hmm. you have your CFO, your CEO, you should have somebody who's representing your legal mm -hmm. interests yes. and protecting you. But if you can't even get to, you know, I understand that that can be a big ask yeah. for some new companies, mm -hmm. but even just having somebody that has a kind of personality or the kind yeah. of viewpoint where they're going to put the brakes sometimes mm -hmm. a little bit because there's so many, like you said, there's people coming up with amazing ideas. Yes. There's great entrepreneurs in this space yes. and people want to want to act on their ideas. Yeah. And that's great, but it's good to have somebody yeah. in the room that says, hey, wait a minute, have yeah. you asked this question? Have we looked into yeah. this? Well, Let's I, do it right. Yeah, and I tell a lot of my clients, especially my new clients, like, you, the, the client is usually the visionary, right? The client's coming in and, you know, usually going to be the CEO of the company. They're the idea person. They're very passionate about it. And that's necessary, you know, for any new business, small business or otherwise, you need somebody that's just going to feed the process and keep moving right. forward. But you also need the person on your team that says, hey, we see the vision. We love it. It's very exciting. But there are steps that we need to take to get there. And especially in a regulated market like this and one that people from, you know, kind of all over are looking at with a very intense look through a microscope to just find people that are doing things wrong. Um, it's super important for this type of market because we've been given this opportunity to like show, hey, you know, like cannabis operators can be serious businesses mm -hmm. and we are, we're doing great work. Um, but it just takes that one or a couple, you know, operators that don't do things right and things kind of spiral into a downward spiral. So, you know, just making sure that everybody is like ready to run a business and mm -hmm. it's not just an idea. It's not just a fantasy of like, oh, I, I can't wait to do this. Like having the steps in plan to say, this is, this is a company, this is a corporation, this is an LLC. 
and we have these guidelines that we follow very strictly. Everything's written down. Like, think about it if you were going to start a business that wasn't a cannabis mm -hmm. company. You know, you would have, you know, kind of these checklists that you want to do. It's just a little bit more stressful necessarily in the cannabis market because, you know, as we get past initial licensing concerns and permitting concerns, what you really have to realize is that the next step for these companies like five, 10 years down the line is we're going to see a lot of litigation, um, you know, contract disputes, um, you know, uh, all sorts of things. And the thing that's going to save companies there is if they've done, you know, the base work very, very well. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, you know, it's kind of just general business advice yeah. at a certain point, but for cannabis operators, you know, take that passion that you have for the plant and also put it into the business side of things. I love that. I think this is going to be really helpful for our viewers. You know, there's a lot of people who are interested in getting in the space or new in the space, and there's just a lot of landmines and things to be yes. wary of. Yeah. Um, so hopefully this introduction kind of yeah. gave them some some sense of um, some of those things to be concerned about mm -hmm. and to be paying attention to. Yeah. And certainly they can reach out to you for help yeah, here in absolutely. California. And um, why don't you let everyone know where they can reach you? Sure. So my firm name is Rogaway Law Group. So Rogaway, R-O-G-O-W-A-Y, law.com. So you can find me there. Um, and if you want to give the office a call, set up a consultation, we can do something like that. I'm on, you know, LinkedIn, all those great sites as Blair Q. So you can find me there. Great. Well, thank you so much yeah, for being here no today problem. and chatting with me. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone. It's another great episode of The Higher Ground on Razzle Cannabis Broadcasting Network. We'll see you next time.